You're listening to Bizarre Buffet, a podcast of all-you-can-eat weird. I'm your host, Mark Toriello. I'm Jen Wilson. And I'm Mark Blusine. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. When we first went in, one of the people said, Who are you? And Tex said, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. Hey. Hi, Jen Wilson. Hi, Mark hey, Blustein. Hi, Mark Toriello. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Well, anyone listening right now that can't physically see us, I have to describe Jen's amazing top. Oh, it's thank you. like it's spaghetti strap, and it's like a crushed gold velvet with these copper-colored sequins yeah. or gold. Yeah, I would say they're probably like copper. Yeah. Very silver. It's so yeah. pretty. It's very I luxurious. To this, um, to this company called Newly. N-U-U-L-Y. They're not sponsoring us, by the way. Well, they should after this. <laughs> the subscription's like 88 bucks a month. You get six items of your choice okay. that you can try on. And then whatever you decide to keep, you just pay the difference. Oh, nice. And things that like you can wear. Like I could wear this all month if I want, and then I return it. Oh. I don't have to deal with dry cleaning, nothing. They take care of it all. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Right? Newly. Listen. Sponsor, sponsor us. Yeah. Give Jen her free fucking Well, membership. now people know that we can do a plug. Mm. We, yeah. Mm-hmm. This was a good trial run, but we were being honest. Yeah, it's true. So... We yeah. need an authentic plug. We need some sponsors. We do need some sponsors. We're a plug company. <laughs> That's very nice, Jen. Thank it you. Look ravishing. It's beautiful. Thank you. I want to compliment Mark and Mark. Mark Bluestein is wearing a Carrie White shirt, <laughs> prom queen, and I love she Mark Toriello's. Like I'm going to say it's a navy blue. Yeah. It's like a navy blue long sleeve shirt that has some really cool. It's like an A. Like blue. Geometric. And, yeah, geometric yeah. lines, blue and white. Yeah. Only on one side. It's yeah. asymmetrical. I love it. The question of the night for you both is I just want to know your thoughts on camping and spending time in the outdoors. Don't have you done that. it? Have you done it? Or have you not? If you've done it, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Mark and I ate lunch in the park the other day, and it was a stretch to get me to eat lunch in the fucking park. And the reason being is because like, it was very nice in, in theory, but I think my phrase was, I'm not a picnicker. And the reason We're why not. I'm not a picnicker, and that's a weird word, but were made up but i like we sat down i was like oh this is pretty we're by the water and you know blinded by the sun and i felt like i was like on a stage eating food and then i don't know i I felt bad because the sun was going directly in mark's eyes and it was like a very specific (laughs) like you couldn't escape it if you wanted to it was something about the time yeah so the two of you would not do well on like an outdoorsy no i'd die hell no you know i was a boy scout I was and a Girl Scout. I used to have to do camping in the woods in a tent and everything, and I hated it. Also, there's no air conditioning. No, there's no. Not. But <sighs> usually in the summer, like in the night, like at nighttime, it gets cold. Mm. Yeah. 
What are you getting at? We don't know what you're up to. Yeah, I had to think Ms. for those Wilson. cub master daddies. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need you two and everybody listening to put on their heaviest fur winter oh. coat. Oh, my God. I'm so chilly. And we're going to take it back to Soviet Russia. Oh, my God. Oh. We're going to Russia? Well, hi to our Russian listeners. We're going back to 1957. Oh. Soviet oh Russia. Oh, my God. I'm fascinated. I'm so excited. We have no idea what this is. I know. I love this. I love this thing that like now we surprise each other with our topics. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. So it makes it more like engaging. Yeah. So I'm going to introduce you to a man. His name was Igor Dyatlov. He was an engineer and an inventor. He was a lover of the wilderness. And he was an engineer student at UPI, which was the Ural Polytechnic Institute. Okay. Which was one of the most leading technical universities in the Soviet Union. It turned out top flight engineers to work in the nuclear power and weapons industries. Mm-hmm. And during his years there, he led a number of wilderness trips, often using outdoor equipment um, that he invented or helped to improve on. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So in 1957, when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, for those of you who don't know what Sputnik is, it was the first artificial Earth satellite. So they were the first ones to go into space. Oh my! Wait, the, the infamous space race from the fifties, like the one that blew up with the Cold War. Yeah, so it did. <sighs> it did travel around the Earth, I believe, three times. Okay. But he actually created a telescope that he and his friends could watch the satellite travel across the night sky. Oh well, it's very romantic. It is. So this was 1957. This was a time in the Soviet Union where the economic growth was was booming and the standard of living was rising. Things were looking good for Soviet Russia. Okay. So Igor had a proposal while he was in school. Okay. So in 1958, he began planning this winter expedition. That That sounds exciting. Yeah. So it would, (laughs) well, it did sound exciting, but it would (laughs) exemplify the boldness and vigor of new Soviet Union. Yes. Fucking yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was to be a 16 day cross country ski trip in the Ural Mountains. Sounds gorgeous. So it was the north south mountain range. So it divided. Western Russia and Siberia. Mm. Oh, Siberia. And also Europe and Asia. Because if you don't know, because I know the two of you do not know anything about geography. Yeah, you want to know what the word Mm -hmm. geography means to me? Half of Russia sits sits in Europe and the other half sits in Asia. Really? Yeah. You didn't know that? Go. So is it Asia? No comment. So half of so half of Russia is Europe and the other half is Asia. So do they identify as Asian in that I guess part? That, I guess that particular part, but if you look at the map, yeah, Russia actually connects between Europe and Asia. Oh. Yeah. So are there Russian Asians? I have no idea. 
Okay, we'll do a deep dive. We'll deep have dive to do on a deep that dive later. into That's that. Okay. okay. They're Rougins. Rougins. <laughs> but just, I was Rougins. just trying to give you an image of what this nice expedition yeah. was to look like. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Mark and I go off, but that was it. But did they have pineapples there? I know. I'm sorry. I know. I know. No pineapples, I don't think, in the Ural Mountains up in the snow. Maybe canned pineapples. Maybe. Maybe. They probably took canned pineapples with them on this trip. The itinerary was 350 miles north of this city called Sverdlovsk. I think I'm saying that correct. Sounds accurate. Um, <laughs> it's a traditional territory of the Mansi, which is indigenous people in Russia. Mm-hmm. Okay. This group would ski 200 miles en route that no Russian, as far as anyone has known, has ever done before. Oh. So think so about that. So they were being fucking They were ballsy. doing a 200 mile ski trip mm. by skis. By skis, my God. So. What point are you trying to prove? The mountains, to describe them, they were like very gentle. They were very rounded. They had some really intense slopes. Okay. But mm, the I love challenge. A good slope. Oh, yeah. So the challenge wasn't like the actual landscape, but it was the cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. They had really deep snow. They had high winds. Wolverines. Yeah, exactly. Yetis, maybe? Maybe Yetis. And I know in that area, too, there's different levels of hiking. There's like level one to four. And this was top level, meaning like the most difficult terrain oh wow to hike through or something like that wow so i'm i'm the one who knows the least about this so so. who was on this trip you may ask i may and i'm asking okay so there was a total of 10 people on Mm. this trip okay okay one of them including igor himself they were among what was called the elite of soviet youth They were all highly experienced winter campers and cross-country skiers. Oh, nice. Must come from mine. So we had... So some of these names I may butcher because, you know, in the Russian language, some last names are like 10 syllables long. Yes. Okay. And any of our Russian listeners, feel free to drop us a voice note with the pronunciation. We have Zina. Okay. Zina Kolmogorova. She, a uh, 22-year-old female who was a fellow classmate. We had um, Georgie. I'm not even Krivonshenko. Okay, Krivonshenko. 23-year-old male um, who was a close friend of Igor's and graduated two years prior and was working at an, as an engineer at a local nuclear complex. Okay. There was Rustam Slobodin, a 23-year-old male who was also a recent graduate. We also had Nikolai Tibolt Brignolis, which was a 23-year-old male who was of French descent. So if any of our French listeners out there want to give us a little help with that one. Yeah. His father actually had been worked nearly to death. In one of Joseph Stalin's um, camps. He had a lot of, like, after World War II, there were a lot of prison camps all around the Soviet Union. There was Yuri Yudin, 21-year-old male, not Yuri Geller. (laughs) 
You knew what I was thinking too. We also Not have the another. We also have another Yuri. <laughs> Yuri Zoroshenk. Okay. Twenty-one-year-old male. No more bent spoons. We had Ludia Dubinia, who was the youngest of the crew. Mm-hmm. She was twenty years old. Okay. Go, and girl! Yeah. yeah, she was an economics major. She was a track athlete. She was a communist. Yes, communism. I don't know anything about communism. <laughs> she wore her yeah. long blonde hair and braids tied with silk ribbons. Oh, God bless her! Yeah. Um, on a pre- actually, but on a previous wilderness outing, she was accidentally shot by a hunter, oh, and she survived. Would she take the bullet out herself? Probably. She sounds very but, self-sufficient. But yeah, also, so she was shot and had to make the journey back home to civilization, which was fifty miles. <gasps> oh hell no! Oh my god, that reminds me of that other story about the plane. We're gonna do that. Yeah, we'll do an episode about that. Sorry. But then we have one more. Okay. And he was added onto this group a couple of days before they were due to set off. His name was Simon Zolotarov. He was 37 years old. He was a veteran of World War II. He said he had an old-fashioned mustache. I'm picturing like the handlebars. Hi. Anybody... An old-fashioned mustache. He had, Did you like Jen um, just did the graphic for he you? He had some apparently stainless steel teeth. Hi. Wow. And Ooh. tattoos. Oh. oh my god. He was Ooh. much older than the others. Where are his yep. descendants? And also, just so you know, he was largely unknown to the group. So remember that. Uh-oh. He was Uh-oh. largely unknown to this group. Okay. Yes. Okay, so the trip begins. We're going Yay. on the trip. Yay. 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 So Choo-choo. the party left by train on January 23rd, 1959. Okay. There was a handful of them that hid under the seats of the trains so they could avoid buying tickets. Clever. And they had a layover between trains and our friend Gregory Krishvanchenko. Mm. He, uh, he was briefly detained by the police. What did, he do? what did he do? Well, he was playing his mandolin and pretending to panhandle at the train station. What's I don't a, know what pretending to panhandle though. And what's yeah. a mandolin? It's like a um, it's a it's a guitar, but it's more like circular shape. Oh, it's like the Dolly paintings. He oh. loves shoving them in there. Uh. I think. <laughs> you know what I'm talking Who about. Who the fuck is gonna go through? These mountains that are snowy with a fucking mandolin. I know. What no are you doing idea. with that? Using so, it as a goddamn sled, I hope. So the reason these like these details are known is there was a communal journal, and many of the skiers they all carried their own personal journals, and at least five had cameras and really? the pictures they took. Yeah, they show a lively, strikingly handsome group of young people having the adventure of a lifetime. Right. Skiing, laughing, playing the mandolin. Being a communist. Mugging for the camera, yes, being a communist. So after two days traveling by train, they reach Ivedel, which is a small town with a Stalin-era prison camp that held mostly criminals. Okay. From there, 
The group traveled another day. Oh my goodness, this this trip to get to this uh, trip. Yeah, God, I know, really. It's like when they say you need a vacation from your vacation. Well, it just shows you how far out yeah. of the way the starting point was mm-hmm. of the mountains. If you have to go through days of traveling just to get to the mountains that you're gonna hike through you're really like you're far deep in the middle of nowhere russia so god they traveled another day by bus okay then in the back of a truck Mm. finally by a by ski guided by a horse drawn sleigh was it black beauty (laughs) that's a reference that will be left for patreon content we'll let you in on the joke fucking horse um god damn that horse and they slept in an abandoned lodging camp called Mm. second northern okay and while they were there yuri yudin actually had a flare-up of sciatica and it forced him to pull out of the trip Mm -hmm. so we went from 10 to 9 now and, and he's going to be grateful that happened. An, yeah, an uneven number. I don't like it. Bad luck. Superstition. So the following day, which was January 28th, he turned back and the remaining nine set off to the mountains. The plan was to end up in this tiny village called Vizhai around February 12th. Okay. And they would telegram the university sports club that they arrived safely. That expected telegram never came. Okay, that's alarming. So what happened? What the, what happened? What happened to that telegram? So it was assumed that the group had been held up due to heavy wind and snowstorms. Okay. And this is once they got into the mountains. This is once they got into hike. the mountains. So you remember On their Yuri, and shit. Yuri went, he left and the group was supposed to send a telegram around the 12th of February. Mm-hmm. Well, it never came. Okay. And that that telegram on the 12th, that was supposed to be after their entire Correct. journey, right? In the, the mountains? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was assumed that the group was held up due to like heavy winds mm-hmm. and snowstorms, but the family started to panic. And on February 20th, a search party began, oh, which... Boy. Yeah, included volunteers from the university, prison guards from the local prison camp, the indigenous Manzi hunters, local police, and the military even deployed planes and helicopters. Holy shit, that's a pretty big search party for what, the 50s? Mm Mm-hmm. In Russia? Yep. Okay. So on February 25th, the students found ski tracks. Okay. And then the following day, they discovered the skier's tent above a tree line that the Manzi called Death Mountain. Oh, charming. There was no one inside that tent. The tent was partly collapsed and largely buried in snow. Then after digging it out, the search party, they saw that the tent appeared to have been deliberately slashed in several places. Creepy. But yet, when they went inside, the tent was neat, it was put together, the boots of the skiers, the axes, other equipment was arranged on either side of the door, there was food laid out, like as if it was about to be eaten, there was a stack of wood for the heating stove, clothes, cameras, journals. Everything. Yeah, everything. So it looks like when they went in, it was like someone just left 
Okay. But remember, there's slash marks mm -hmm. in the tent. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you go about 100 feet down the hill, and they find distinct footprints of eight or nine people walking toward the tree line. Almost all of the prints were of stockinged feet, and some were bare. Now, so some of them were in like, yeah, socks like or socks. barefoot. Oh, wow. One person appeared to be wearing a single ski boot. One? Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. And they said that some of the prints indicated that the person was either barefoot or in socks because you could actually see their toes in, like, in the mm -hmm. footprints. That's scary. That was later testified by one of the searchers. The party followed the prints down the hill for about six or seven yards okay. until they vanished. So now we come to the aftermath. So the aftermath, the next morning, the searchers found the body of the mandolin player and they also found the student Doroshenko underneath this tall cedar tree at the edge of the forest, mm -hmm. okay? They're lying next to a dead fire, wearing only underwear. That's fucking crazy. 12 or 15 feet up the tree, there was some recently, it looked like they were recently broken branches. On the trunk, there was bits of skin and torn clothes found. Later that day, Dyatlov and the female student, not the youngest one, the other mm. female, mm -hmm. they were found further up the slope and they were faced in the direction of the tent with their fists tightly clenched. Mm -hmm. It appeared that it was, that it looked like they were trying to get back to the tent. Mm. Oh. Like, do you think they were trying to, like, crawl back to the tent? Probably. It's like they were frozen in place, literally. Yeah. So, the four bodies were autopsied. Mm -hmm. The search still continued to find the others, right? Because we only have four of the nine right yes. now. Okay. So, there's five more to be found. Yeah. So, a medical examiner noted a number of, like, bizarre features. Our mandolin player friend, he had blackened fingers and he had third-degree burns on a shin and a foot. Okay. Inside his mouth was a chunk of flesh that he had bitten off of his right hand. What? what? Oh, I didn't know that. And I didn't know about the burns either. No, I've never heard about those Doroshenko's parts. body had burnt hair on one side of the head and a charred sock. On really, all of the bot. So all four of these bodies were covered with bruises, abrasions, scratches, and cuts. The recent graduate Slobodin um, was discovered a few days later, and was on the slope like Dyatlov, leading back to the tent with a sock on one foot, and a felt boot on the other. What the fuck? His is autopsy. Going on? So his autopsy noted a minor fracture to his skull. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now this is when the professionals step in. Have all, is this? Are we at the point now where all the bodies were found? All nope, nine? Not yet. Oh shit. Oh boy. They were like, we need the professionals anyway, though. Get them in early. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So <laughs> mm -hmm. we get the professionals in. Toxicology tests were done. Witness testimonies were taken. Diagrams and maps were made of the scene. All of the basics, the forensics, all the shit that you do when you investigate, investigate a crime scene. Mm -hmm. The tent and its contents were helicoptered out of the mountains. 
and set up inside a police station. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of um, space that you would need. So this led to one of the most key discoveries of this. Okay. They brought a seamstress in. What? And the seamstress came in. I'm sorry. All of this is just so wild to me. So the seamstress came in to do a uniform fitting, but happened to notice while looking at the tent, the slashes in the tent were made from the inside, not the outside. Oh, I I envision like this Russian seamstress being like, oh, tent is poor quality. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's not so good. So clearly something happened Mm -hmm. to make the skiers cut their way out of the tent and flee into the night, into the blizzard, into 20 below zero temperatures in bare feet or socks. Yeah, or one booted. Because like, think about it. These people were not novices. Like this, like they've done this before. Wasn't their first time at the snow rodeo. Wasn't their first rodeo, exactly. So this is, this right here is like the big mystery of the incident. This is the unsolved case. Like this right here, yeah. Just putting it out there. But remember there were still four bodies missing. Yeah. Okay. So a Mansi hunter and his dog came across the remains of a makeshift snow den in the woods. Okay. Which was about 250 feet from the cedar tree. Mm-hmm. All right. And there was a floor of branches laid in a deep hole in the snow. And pieces of tattered clothing were found strewn about. There were black cotton sweatpants with the right leg cut off. What um, the fuck is with all these the uneven left, numbers of Yeah, things? the left half of a woman's sweater. And then another team arrived and using avalanche probes around the den, they brought up a piece of flesh and they uncovered the four remaining victims lying together in a rocky stream bed under at least 10 feet of snow. Okay. I This is all fucking just real weird. But also, I, I, I don't know if you got to this or not, but... All the bodies had um, radioactivity. Correct. To it. So adds to the mystery. Wow. Yes. So the autopsies revealed with these four that they all had catastrophic injuries. One skull was fractured so bad that the pieces of bone had actually been driven into the brain. Whoop cha! Wow. Two had crushed chests with multiple broken ribs. And the autopsy report actually said that there was a massive hemorrhage in the right ventricle of one of their hearts. Mm. And the medical examiner actually said that the damage was so similar to what is typically seen in the impact of an automobile moving at high speed accident. I don't, I'm sorry. All of this is mind boggling. None of the bodies had like external wounds. They were all internal. Although one of them was missing its eyes and the other was missing its eyes, tongue, and part of the upper lip. Okay, so here's my one theory with that, at least, is that I know, but also, I mean, I don't know what kind of animals are out there, mm-hmm. but like animals will go to eat the soft tissue right. first. And they'll get the good giblets first, and then they'll get the, so, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> So after careful inventory, 
of clothing. It recovered from the bodies that um, some of these victims were wearing clothes taken or cut off of the bodies of others. Mm. And a laboratory found that several items had unnaturally high levels of radiation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I know a little bit about the radiation part of all of this, but not like all of like the stolen clothing cut off yeah. from jazz. A radiological expert testified that because the bodies had been exposed to running water for months, these levels of radiation must have originally have been many times greater. So meaning like they probably were exposed to this before before death before they even went on this expedition oh okay well one thing that i read was that they possibly had a high level of radiation on their bodies because they were students yeah that did like engineering engineering and, and stuff working at nuclear power plants yeah so on may 28th the investigation was closed okay so the report was ended with a non-explanation that pretty much said it should be concluded that the cause of the hiker's demise was an overwhelming force which they were not able to overcome. <laughs> and then like in, uh, Christ or something, I guess. <laughs> and then in classical, classical Soviet style. A number of officials who had little to do with the tragedy were either punished or fired. Oh, of course. Well, including the director of the university. He was like, I'm and chairman of the university, the local Communist Party secretary, chairman of two workers unions and a union inspector. So no one was fired. Pretty much they were all either fired or punished. Oh, they but were. But not their fault. It's not their what fault. The but oh, I'm sorry. I was confused They probably were all sent to the gulag. Oh, no. You know, what's I love a, gu- a good a- gulag. I'm just kidding. I don't know what a gulag <laughs> is. It's like one of those, like, it's like a Soviet prison camp, like uh, underground. Oh. I don't love a good gulag. Like, I'm very, sorry. like, no doors, no windows. Oh. Yeah. Well, that sounds sad. So... <laughs> All of the investigative files, the photographs, the journals, they were placed off limits to skiers and outdoor enthusiasts for years. The tent was stored, but eventually became moldy and had to be thrown out. (laughs) Oh, so their evidence was basically, they were like, ah, fuck it. And the mountain, which the skiers were trying, were heading for, but never reached, was eventually known as Dyatlov Pass. Okay. They named it after him. They did. The victims' families were left deeply, deeply dissatisfied. I could imagine. Many of them wrote to officials. They wrote to Nikita Khrushchev, who was the president of the Soviet Union. He's like, girl, stop sending me letters. I don't care. We do not look for missing. They were demanding demanding a more thorough investigation. Mm. um, But nothing was ever done. And the mysterious deaths of the nine skiers are still kind of mysterious to this day. So there's a couple of conspiracy theories I'd like to share. Oh, absolutely. Let's hear them. I just want to say that this is my favorite um, unsolved mystery of all time. So I'm glad you picked this topic. Yeah, this is perfect. Because I love the Diet Loves Pass. Yeah. 
So we live for a diet love moment. I live for this story. Jen. I'm gr- I'm glad, and you've all learned something about it that you didn't know. Absolutely, truly. The burn thing. The burn thing. I've, okay, and I've read a book about just, this. I got it. I'm sorry, I got it's put it out there. Dead Mountain. Yeah, that's right. Um, what you know? I don't know if this is why this is standing out to me. I mean, I know why, but. The uneven, like the asymmetrical thing, like one sleeve ripped off of this person. Well, they might have been like, think about it. So if like somebody died and somebody else had a wound, they probably cut off pieces of clothing to like. (laughs) Well, that's a, you know, bandage, like as a bandage. And someone had like the head injury. You know, yeah, they were probably exposed to radiation. But then too, like if you're like stranded in a blizzard and body parts are missing, like Maybe they started eating each other. Well, Maybe they were that desperate for food. I yeah. mean, that puts a twist on it for sure. So, um, <laughs> so the prosecutor who closed the case and said that there was no crime involved, mm. he retired. And in <laughs> 1990, he published an article and he claimed that while compiling his 1959 report, He'd been pressured not to include his views on what happened. Oh. So this article was titled The Enigma of the Fireballs Mm. and said that the skiers had been killed by heat rays or balls of fire associated with UFOs. Oh, I mean. It's plausible. Yeah. So this prosecutor in his initial and... um, initial examination of the scene he found trees with unusual burn marks which confirmed confirmed that some kind of heat ray or a powerful force of nature completely unknown to us acted selectively on specific objects what the in fuck? this case people this is fucking crazy the i did last, not know that and the last photograph on one of their cameras showed flares and streaks of light against a black background. I want the photos now. I want the originals. Me too. I want to frame them. The next conspiracy theory, the KGB theory, okay. which centers around the man who left the group at last minute yes. due to sciatic flare-up. Yeah. There was a book published in Russia and claims that he and two other skiers were actually KGB agents. Okay. And they were on an assignment to meet with a group of CIA operatives. Okay. To furnish them with deliberately misleading information. Okay. So samples of clothing contaminated by the radioactive isotopes were to be offered as bait. And the CIA agents discovered the, de- the deception and killed them and staged the scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it is certainly possible that the man who left had something to do with it had a link to the KGB and his service record in the Second World War had holes and inconsistencies which kind of leads him to be a suspect in all of this but still a KGB connection even if proved probably wouldn't mean much they can't really do much shit with that anyway because many people were low-level informants at the time, and the idea that the CIA would have chosen a place like the Dead Mountain yeah. for a rendezvous is just 
really meet me on dead mountain baby and i'm gonna leave you with one more which is my personal favorite conspiracy theory is that the party was attacked by a yeti (laughs) no (laughs) mark do the noise So So in another camera, the final photograph, it's become famous. You can find it online. And it's a dark figure advancing through a snowy forest, hunched and menacing with no facial features. There's actually on the Discovery Channel, there was an entire show, Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives. Oh. Which goes around the image. Yeah. Russian TV, if you want to interview us, we're so, open for bookings. The skiers um, actually had been joking about Yetis a few hours before they died, apparently. Okay. There's a spoof propaganda leaflet that was found in the tent. Really? Yeah. Along oh, items bizarre. as greeting the Congress with increased birth rate among hikers. There was something that that also said science in recent years. There has been a heated debate about the existence of the Yeti. Latest evidence indicates that the Yeti lives in the northern Urals near Mount Oderin. Oh, yeah. So still, even though the photograph was blurry, it clearly shows a member of the group. With a Yeti. An alleged Yeti. This has also been used to bolster the UFO and KGB theories. Wow. So this is... It's fucking weird. But it's also like a typical, like at the end of a film role to have pictures like that. Like I No, like just of, of like... Like weird shapes. Yeah, weird distorted shapes. Because when I was living in London, I was really into using film Mm -hmm. and into film photography. And I can't begin to tell you the amount of pictures that just came out distorted. Right. Different colors. and Well, also, too, these cameras were exposed to harsh elements could have been under the snow and you have light and oxygen exposure to the film which could you know fuck with it yeah some other things too about it the other theories that are in existence is some people believe like realistically that there was an avalanche Mm -hmm. and what was that weird is is this the theory about like the uh, continue well like there's so there's like Three other ones that I know of that are a little more, like, less fantasy and more, like, scientific. Okay. But the one is that it was just a good old-fashioned avalanche. And what happened was is that as it happened, they panicked and cut their way out of their tents. Which would they make knew it was sense. coming. And you were asleep, so you don't have time to put your clothes on. So you're running out in your underwear. Right. You, you're trying to grab a boot, so you might not have both boots because you're in a panic. And then what could have happened was is they all split in the night with no light, got lost in the woods, and then died of, you know, like... Hypothermia. Um, hypothermia, starvation, injuries... A lot of times... Most of them died from hypothermia. Yeah. Well, and as far as, like, the burns go and, like, the burnt-out campfire, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, that could even be as much of they had to leave in a rush because of something like an avalanche, and then one of them ends up tripping Mm -hmm. over the fire. Now, the fire was out by the time they fucking got there. Of course it was. But, you know, I'm sure that those burns that I had no idea about could be associated with, like panic and like you trip you fall next to the fire or a little yeah. into it 
or unfortunately could have died next to it or something. There was also another group of hikers that were like 31 miles south of the incident and said that they saw like orange spheres in the sky. Right. Okay. And, mm, Let us up. know your theories on Diet Love's Pass on yeah, our Instagram. Yeah, I would love yeah. to know. Let us know what you think what happened. What you think happened. But with the spheres, I think there's speculation that they could have been doing bomb testing. They could have been. And what happened was is that, you know, they did bomb testing and that's what killed the Diet Love's Pass people that you know the nine students and they wanted to cover it up like mm-hmm. the government wanted to cover it up yeah well that's exactly like what i'm thinking because mm-hmm. they closed the case so quickly yeah wow there is another theory i want oh, to talk what's about the other one well one and a half i also know that there's this idea that the tent caught fire with an in they had like an interior like they had a heater heater they had like the heater which was in the that they found yeah and it could be said that it caught fire in the middle of the night and they couldn't exit through the the door or the zipper like thing the, of the tent yeah. so in a panic they cut themselves out and therefore again got, you know got lost you know dealt with the exposure and then there's this other theory that is in this book I read called Dead Mountain. And there was like this weird rock that they kind of put their camp near. And it was called Boot Rock. And it's like in the shape of a boot. And it's on a slope. And the idea was that there was like a gust of wind. And when it went over this rock, it made a piercing noise that was mm. deafening. And yeah. that could make you go insane. Like sounds that certain pitches can make people right. go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's a highly probable situation well, that could have happened. Well, whatever happened there, I mean, I'm sure we'll never really know, but it just sounds like entire fucking chaos. So yeah. whatever was happening that night was fucking no joke, bitch. Well, there's just a lot of like weird things that don't make sense. There's a lot of weird things sense. that don't make sense. None of it adds up. And like, I'm not with, even good at math, but well, none of this math with, adds with, up. With all the theories, like all the odd things don't add up to any specific Anything. theory. Exactly. Because you know? if it was like the howling wind, well, where's the burns come from? Mm-hmm. If, it, if it was an avalanche, okay, fine. That ex- That explains the crushed you know insides or whatever but, but then, what about the missing body parts exactly so it's just like then the eyes i think those were animals or like vultures but okay my question is so how long did it take them to find like any of the bodies so january 28th is when yuri yudin went back okay. like he turned around they were supposed to be back so this was the 28th of january it was february 12th they were supposed to send the telegram that never came Okay, so that's a good chunk of time. So the search party began February 20th. Okay. So that's essentially a week after they were supposed to complete Uh, uh, this expedition. And I would imagine... And then the 25th is when they they found the first four bodies. Okay, so that's really hard to pinpoint. And, you know, I remember... This could be another episode, but... I know that it is very hard a lot of times to pinpoint things with cold climates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was this guy from New Jersey called the Iceman Killer. Yep. And he would 
put his you know, hired hits in freezers to try to fuck with the time of death. Shut the fuck up. Uh-huh. So maybe we'll do an episode. Let us know if you want to hear about the Iceman Killer. Winona Ryder actually plays his wife in this weird movie with... um. Oh, what's his name? Michael Shannon. Yeah, Michael Shannon. Who I like. I like both of them. Uh, yeah, let us know if you want to hear about that. But yeah. moral of the story is, is that I'm sure the climate had something to do with, you know, not being able to figure out maybe right. as much about, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, when they died. The pictures are weird. They have, like, pictures of the, the dead bodies, and they're all, like, gnarly looking, and they're like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course. Frightening. One eye open. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Looks like me in the morning. (laughs) Wow. I like that, Jen Wilson. Yeah. That was a good one. That's my favorite. Thank you. You're welcome. May God bless you for that. Of course. And Dyatlov. I mean, Satan bless, though. Yes. So, um... Make sure that you subscribe to us. Yes, yeah, subscribe to us. Leave us a comment on yeah. on our podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's right. We're a group here that needs a lot of attention, so you should really tell us all nice things that you think about us. Follow us on Instagram, yeah, Bizarre, Bizarre Buffet, Buffet, Facebook, Bizarre Buffet. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're, we're everywhere. On Instagram. We're on YouTube. Tell us what you think of Diet Love's past. Yeah, if we you wanna, know of if any, you know other, any theories. other theories or what you think the theory might be. Tell us what your theories are, and um, please make sure to subscribe, preferably on Apple, and uh, while you're there, rate and review. It helps us. We're trying to monetize this, as they say. Yeah, we are. We are. And um, there's a lot of behind the scenes that we're doing. Yeah, we love you all. We love you. And with that being said, I am the mandolin. Oh my God, the mandolin. And I am not Dyatlov, but the Dyatlov Pass. I'm the pass. I'm Yuri because I did not go up in the uh, mountains. That's right. Mark would be the smarter one. <laughs> he would be like, no, I'm not doing this. Hell uh, no. Hell, hell no. no. I'm not going on your past, Diet Bye. Love. Bye, girl.